evidence and answers. One of the most important museums in our nation has been established only five blocks from the Capitol building in Washington, D.C., the Museum of the Bible. What is so special about this particular museum? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today on our show, Pat and his guest, Mark Benson, will be continuing on with the interview they started the last time we were together. So now, let's get right to it. Here's our host, Pat, along with his guest, businessman Mark Benson. Did you face situations like that where you might lose a key client or high-powered businessman or not get promoted? What do you have to say to the guy maybe facing things like that? I can tell you this, all the above. Did I make the right decision every time? I guarantee I did not. I guarantee. And I can also say this, it becomes easier with age, if that mm. makes sense. In other words, in my 30s, I might made a decision that today I would not make. And, and that's very, very clean and very easy for me to say. So in that same situation, also growing up, I had a great father, my mom and dad celebrating their 62nd anniversary this summer, but great plans of the direction for we had to go. However, the ways of the world took my eyes and my heart and I was going that direction. But at the same time, the older I became, the more that I could get that maturity in me to say no this is what I'm going to do, and this is why I'm going to do it. That's what I had to do. And I consciously, as a business owner, surrounded myself with people of like values. And so it's a daily decision that we have to make. Yeah, and I think we're seeing in the news short-term compromises on yes. your integrity. You pay the consequence. Correct. And when you don't surrender your integrity, Correct. that pays big consequences. But it may be down the road, maybe years down the road, where you really begin to see the fruit. Correct. Correct. And you know what? That's okay. That I think that if we look back at the biblical stories, look at people that in today's day and age, we might not even go across the street to have coffee with them, but God lifted them up and God brought them together. Jesus lifted them up. And, and when we look at his 12 disciples, they weren't necessarily the sharpest tools in the shed when he found them, but he was able to hone them and made them the sharpest tools in the shed because of the heart. And I really believe when I wake up at two in the morning is, okay, God, I have certain responsibilities, things that I need to do. And at the end of the day, I want to make sure that I hear that that one line that we all want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Yes. So it's not an easy road. No. You may not get that promotion. Correct. You may not win that election. Correct. You know, I know politicians of integrity who who lost. Yes. So it can be discouraged. It, it's an uphill battle that you're saying you face daily. Correct. Correct. You, you know, and you face it, but it's a conscious decision. In other words, as I mentioned a moment ago, I made bad decisions as a younger man that I wouldn't make today. But I think everybody has that ability to look in hindsight and say, oh, I wish I hadn't done that, but I did. Now, what am I going to do about it? And so that's where I look at today. Every day that I do, it's how am I doing today? What am I doing today to honor the Lord? And what am I doing today to honor those around me? Wow. Well, 
Uh, what would you advise for young men and women today or those who are in business today? What, what advice would you give them? I think the number one thing I would look at is a small group of business professionals, number one. I would look at some of the groups that are out there, uh, whether that's Inspire, which is a great group of business professionals. I would want to be around people that have been down the path a little bit. So I'm always happy to talk to somebody that's maybe in their 20s and 30s and talking, this is where my career I want to go, or this is the business I want to have, or mom and dad just gave me this business, what do I do? How, what do I need to do to honor the Lord? And we start talking about those values. And I think it's important to be a part of those teams. Wow, fantastic. Mark, you left Honolulu Ford and you've joined another organization. Tell us about that journey. Uh, it must have been tough leaving an organization that you kind of built up there and to pass the baton on. How was that experience and where are you at now? You know, it was interesting when we sold the dealership and, and it was bittersweet. Anytime you sell something that you put your heart and soul into, it's very bittersweet to do. But it was the right time. We felt God leading us to sell. And when we did that transition, we knew that no matter what, oh, Mark, we love you. We're going to let you do whatever you wanted to do. And the sales, we were through the roof and everything was great. But the moment the ink was dry, I, you know, I sensed that, uh, yeah, we wanted you to do that. But, Mark, we want you to open on Sundays. Mark, we want you to do business this way. And I knew it wasn't going to be my character. I knew that um, the previous year, the last year we had the Ford store, we bought 83 tables at various family-related events for fundraisers. And we were big in the community. And when I brought that up with the people that purchased the dealership, and I said, this is important in Hawaii. We need to be part of the community. and We need to be part of Kapiolani and the church and different things. They said, Mark, if you feel value, you can do a little bit of that. But in reality, that's not what we do. So, okay, that's their business model. They bought it. They can make the decision. So I knew that wasn't going to be for me. And we also had, uh, I had an investment with my wife in a big Chrysler store in Seattle, and it was not going well. So I ended up being there for a while. And this is what's interesting, guys. If you're open to it and you pray for it, I would pray for a God experience every day. And that God experience that I pray for is introduce me to somebody that either A, can help me or B, I can help them. Let me know what that looks like. And it can inconvenience me, whatever it is. I want that experience. And I had an experience in Seattle, which was incredible. Dealership was in tough shape, losing money like crazy. Similar thing I had here at Han Ford. So I was up there for about six months. But in the first month, one guy introduced me to another guy who introduced me to another guy and another guy. All of a sudden, five guys down the road, I met this fellow by the name of, of John Sharp. Great guy. And he ran an organization called C3, which was business Christian business leaders. And he put me in a small group, that, which was four people way over my pay grade and knowledge grade and everything else in the world. And we became great friends. Well, we sold the Chrysler store, our interest in it, because I didn't see that as where I really wanted to go for my family. We love Hawaii, wanted to stay. And I stayed friends with John Sharp. And John Sharp went to work for the Museum of Bible a little over a year ago. And in that period, he was always, Mark, you're going to come aboard one day. And I kept saying, I want to come aboard one day. Let's see what that looks like. So at the end of January of this year, John was able to uh, put a deal together for us that worked for both sides. And I'm now the regional director from Colorado West. Wow. Well, Mark, tell us about the Museum of the Bible there. It's in Washington, D.C. Many people here in the Pacific may not be familiar with it, but it's a fantastic museum. 
Tell us about the Museum of the Bible. Wow, Pat, what a question. Tell me about Jesus. I mean, it's a, <laughs> in 10 words or less. You know, to me, there is an anointing on this facility like nothing I've ever felt. Let me just share that first and foremost. Mm. And so it is 430,000 square feet of facility. That's huge. It is huge. It is about five blocks from the Capitol building in Washington, D.C. And everything in there is, I'm just going to call it first class. Everything in there is great. It's designed with the best of tech, the best interaction, the best way that we can do to present the Bible and how the Bible has impacted the world. And it's not up to the facility, the people, to necessarily interpret the Bible for the family, but it's open for the family to interpret the Bible with everything that's presented. So I feel very comfortable taking an atheist and agnostic into the museum, and it's going to have a fantastic experience as well. And I haven't gone with a Muslim yet or a Hindu yet, but I'd be honored to do that as well because it's designed to get them involved in what the Bible is all about. And then it's up to them to determine it. It's not going to beat anybody over the head. Yeah, I mean, besides being an absolutely first-class and huge facility, huge. I mean, this thing's like another Smithsonian. Yes. What makes the Museum of the Bible different from any other Bible, quote, Bible museum? Wow, it's a great question. So let me let me kind of give you a couple of ways of looking at it. Number one, we have a ride that is designed with the help of Disney, and it is very much like California soaring, you know, when mm -hmm. you're in there. But it's designed to show you where the Bible, where the Bible is actually ingrained in the DNA of our country. And so it takes you on a virtual tour throughout D.C. and you're in a virtual ride where you see the Ten Commandments written on the Supreme Court. You see scripture written on different locations all over D.C. And it shows you how ingrained our country is in the Bible and what our founding fathers thought of the Bible. And to me, that is a great interaction so people can feel it. Another thing that we have in there, which is just uh, so powerful, Many of us, including me, I haven't been to Israel yet, but everyone that I talk to who's been to Israel says it's life changing. I hope to go soon. But when you're in there, we have an exhibit that is staffed with uh, human beings. They're dressed up as period. I don't want to use the word actors, but to period tour guides. And they explain what it was like growing up with Jesus and what it was like to be back wow. in that period. And it's all designed for that interaction. And again, everything that we do is designed to share how the Bible has impacted music, culture, how it has impacted wars around the world, what has happened. And it's designed to be presented in a manner that is truthful, number one, but accuracy. So the consumer, the person going in to see it can feel it and understand it. Yes, that's why I believe you folks wanted it in Washington, D.C., as opposed to Florida, in Orlando, or, or or somewhere else like in Texas. You strategically wanted it right there in D.C., didn't you? So it's interesting. Uh, there's a lot of stories behind it, and it seems like every time I'm there, I get a, a new one added. But one of the best stories had been a major worldwide contractor built the museum, uh, the Clark Construction. 
And my understanding is this came in not only on time and within budget, but had almost the least amount of losses or injuries of any other project that they have had going, period. So people understood the specialness of what had to go here and why it was located in Washington, D.C. And I think that part of our history has been lost. You don't hear it in our history textbooks. I had no idea. You know, I went to elite private school here and uh, all the, and I didn't know that the biblical principles and even the sermons of the pastors and quotes right from their sermons and all these biblical principles were a part of the founding of our nation. And that's one of the key reasons America remains free and prosperous and if we lose that foundation you Amen. know if the foundation falls can the house stand so it's an absolutely vital part of the history that the museum of the bible is teaching and trying to reawaken in america wow pat what a way to state it i don't even know if i can even do it justice maybe the best way i know how to say this is our founding fathers were deeply deeply committed to the bible And we have an exhibit coming July 1 that is the Magna Carta. The Magna Carta is going to be on exhibit, and it'll be there for six months. Now, a lot of people might ask themselves, what's the Magna Carta? Well, without the Magna Carta, we would not have America. And the Magna Carta owes 100% of its roots to the Bible. So when we look at that, we know the Bible is what helped produce the Magna Carta, and we know the Magna Carta is what helped produce America. And so when we see those things, it helps tie us as a country back into that Judeo-Christian root, which is so important for all of us. Yes, you know, I often quote this study by Donald Lutz and Charles Heinemann, monumental study these guys did 15,000 documents from 1760 to 1800 of our founding fathers. By far, by far, 35% of the citations come either directly or pointed right to the Bible. And nothing else comes close. Montesquieu, I think, is second, you know, 8% and, and Locke, maybe 8%. Otherwise, by far, the most quoted source is the Bible. And that's one of those foundation, you know, you wonder where our founding fathers got the ideas yes. for the kind of government, the constitution, like you're saying, where in the world they got it from. If you trace it back, you end up in the Bible. I also believe they weren't shy to be on their knees and they weren't shy to be on their knees. To They knew this was bigger than them. And they created our country based upon that Judeo-Christian foundation and understanding how important it is. And then we fast forward and look at what's happened in, in human rights. And we look mm-hmm. at, forward to what's happened with Dr. King and the movement that he was able to spearhead and what that's meant for America and what his feelings were of what America needs to look like. And I think that we do a good job of bringing that together so people, again, can make up their own mind, understand the history, the history involved in the, uh, well, let's just say the, the, the black church in America over the last 400 years. Where did it come from? And what we try to do is present that so that people know. Many people don't know that uh, there are Jewish people in Africa, that the Bible existed in Africa way before the Africans came to America. And so what we try to do is share that and how important the black church is to the culture. Yeah, so not only that, I I haven't been to the Museum of the Bible and looking forward to being there, but also there's a 
whole arena of the study of these ancient manuscripts yes. that shows us our Bible has been well preserved. Yes. Thousands of documents. There's a lot of documents you have there of these ancient texts showing yes. us how well preserved the Bible is in the study of those ancient texts. Yes. You know, it's interesting. One of the things the projects that the museum is working on is they have been acquiring the Torah. And by acquiring the Torah, we have been refurbishing the Torah and utilizing that and putting them back in synagogues once they've been made kosher again, particularly in synagogues in war-torn countries. And so what a great way to help put our brothers of the Jewish faith back involved and get them get them going again. And I can't think of a better mission than what they're working on now. Yeah, you know, so you don't have to fly to Israel or London or you know, to the Middle East to see some of these great ancient documents. You can go right here to Washington, D.C. You know how hard it is to get those documents, you know, and yet the Museum of the Bible has been able to get some of them. So the uh, the, the Green family, the Hobby Lobby uh, on the mainland is the uh, benefactor, and uh, they have a number of partners around them as well, but they have been the drivers uh, that have put this together. And the desire is to do nothing but preserve and then open up these documents for people to make up their own minds. And that's really the big driver. Yeah. Now, how long has the Museum of the Bible been open? Just we're working on three years. So it's so brand new. Yes. So what kind of impact have you seen, you know, the Museum of the Bible having so far in a short tenure that it's been open. You know, maybe one of the best things I can say is I was on the, um, a few months ago, I was in the, in the car on the way to the airport and I called Marriott. I'm a Marriott guy and I'm talking to the guy on the phone. Nice, nice fella. And I just said, Hey, find me something around the museum of the Bible. And he goes, Oh, have you been there? And I said, well, as it happens, I just went to work for him. He goes, wow. We talked for probably 10 minutes while he's looking for a hotel room for me out there because he was sharing with me how it impacted he and his family. The greatest trip he said that his family has ever had the previous year. So I take those minor little things, those those God incidences when we get to meet different people and we see how it's impacted their lives once they've been there. Wow. And so, Mark, it's only been three years they've been open. Correct. But what are the goals going ahead for the Museum of the Bible? You know, the goal there is to allow the Bible to live in people's and families' lives. That's what the goal is, is to open it up and to make sure that people totally understand it and why they know it's God's instruction book for how we're to live. And so that's what it's about. It's not a personality. It's not a person that's a fantastic speaker. It's not a church denomination. It's the Bible. And so that's what it's about. And tell us a little bit. You mentioned the founder there, Steve Green, not the singer, although I bet you he can sing. He probably can. (laughs) (laughs) Steve Green. Tell us, he gave up a multi-million, maybe billion dollar industry here to start this. Tell us what was going on with him. You know, it's great. I got a chance to go and have lunch with him a couple of years ago just to talk about Christianity and business. And and it was a great hour and a half that we spent together. And his family created Hobby Lobby and still have it. And it does extremely well. But he decided and his brother and his father and, and all the family members decided this was something they didn't set out to build a museum. They set out to preserve biblical artifacts but not preserve them to steal them away, preserve them to share with the world. And so that's really how it started. And and then it just sprouted wings from there. Wow. 
And what kind of visitor? I mean, are you getting the D.C. politicians to come in there and take a look at this thing? You know, it was interesting. Just isolate down. And, of course, we've been this last 14 months has been so unique everywhere. You know, so we have remained open for the majority of the pandemic, uh, although operating underneath the rules. But we've stayed open. And most recently, a month ago, Ken Starr is a kind of a name a yeah. lot of people would know. Uh-huh. Ken Starr uh, did his book announcement there and, and oh. had an open presentation. Obviously, we lean a lot to have people anywhere from Maxwell to Oz Guinness, people that are coming in to talk and explain the Bible and explain how it impacts the world. We have a number of symposiums that are going on. And at the end of the day, we have a lot of politicians coming through. Great. What we try not to do is necessarily broadcast XYZ persons coming through because we want them to interact, not with their title. We want them right. to interact as a human being. Yes. As the word continues to get out about the Museum of the Bible... And we know the culture of Washington, D.C. Yes. Know? What kind of impact do you hope to make there and in the culture of D.C., right there, the heart of our the leadership of our country? You know, the main thing we're trying to do is stay apolitical, if, if you'll permit me to use that phrase that's probably overused. But mm-hmm. it's designed to show America this is how we were put together. This is what has happened out there and this is what a free culture looks like and so it's to present that in a manner so we can understand it obviously we talk about many 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 other subjects around the world that has happened and good and bad but in this culture we're just trying to show what god wants us to live like man this hour just went by so quickly mark but you're also looking the museum of the bible to have partnerships correct perhaps with other organizations or museums around the world. What kind of partnerships are you looking at here? Well, you know, Pat, I'm, I'm excited to share. You know, we're looking forward to your leadership coming and be a part of that. And so what we're looking for is to be able to share the knowledge that is in the Bible and share that knowledge in its purest form with cultures around the world. So I'm going to answer that question perhaps a uniquely different way. We know as a Christian, we are required to go out and share the gospel. But the only way to share the gospel is to speak in the person's language it's receiving. And so one of the big things that we're involved with is, if you'll permit me to say this, is a clearinghouse that we have a tremendous exhibit showing all the different languages the Bible's been transferred into. So we, it's, I don't like yeah. the word translation. It's been localized into their language. Mm-hmm. So I believe it's about 4,300 at this point. Wow. 4,300 languages. And so we present that in a manner so people can see. But then you'll also see empty spots where you can see that language has oh, not wow. been interpreted yet or translated, localized yet, and who's working on it, and then who's responsible, and when that will be potentially completed. So I believe it is being able to get the word out of the Bible completely to the world's cultures in a manner that is pure. And I see that as our number one goal that we want to be able to do. Yeah, and I studying biblical archaeology and being in apologetics, I think it's a tremendous approach. Uh, I would have never dreamed of this kind of approach. I'm glad there's other people that came from this perspective. I think it's going to have a tremendous success in different cultures because you're coming at it from an approach that I think is going to be very well accepted in countries and nations all the world that may not be open to, say, a Christian missionary come walking in there. And, you know, it's designing also to be able to not be 
assaultive. It's designed to just get people involved and let them make up their own mind and present it in a pure fashion. And that's that's really our number one goal. Yeah. So, Mark, if people want more information on uh, this Museum of the Bible, where can they go? You know, the best place to go is the museumofthebible.org, museumofthebible.org. My email address, if you'll permit me go quickly, is mark, M-A-R-K dot Benson, B-E-N-S-O-N, at mbible.org. But it's designed with engagement. We're trying to make it go from a noun to a verb where people can engage even in the Philippines without being in Washington, D.C. and utilize the education we're putting together. Fantastic. You've been listening to our interview with Mark Benson, previous owner of Honolulu Ford dealer, which was, you know, when he was there, the number one car dealership here in the state of Hawaii, now working full time for the Museum of the Bible uh, sharing his story and his journey there. So I'm sure you were inspired and encouraged by his testimony. You want uh, more information on Mark, go to those website or email locations. You can interact with him directly. And for those of you here in Hawaii, you know, he spends a lot of time here. You still got a house here? We still have a home here. We, okay. This is our home. Yeah. Our roots are here. Yeah. So you want Mark to speak at your businessmen's fellowship or church. Uh, is a great guy that you can contact. He's here in the state of Hawaii. So, Mark, thanks for being with us here on Evidence and Answers. Mahalo. We've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers radio broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold an apologetics conference, give him a call locally in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep quality broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners, for the opportunity to donate. Once again, we'll direct you to our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. And you may do so right there online. You'll find we have a wide variety of resources available to you, everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism. So be sure to share our website with those around you. Evidence and Answers would like to thank one of our sponsors, Honolulu Christian Church. If you don't have a home church and are looking for a great place to connect and grow in Christ, check out the Honolulu Christian Church. For service times, log on at honoluluchristian.org. That's honoluluchristian.org. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucrat. Hey, 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 hey.